The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. Good afternoon. This is Steve Orlands, President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I'm thrilled to have with us today two professors of law, Jerome A. Cohen, the Dean of the study of Chinese law in the United States, who is now a professor at New York University's Law School, and Maggie Lewis, who is at Seton Hall uh, School of Law. So they have published a book called Challenge to China, How Taiwan Abolished Its Version of Reeducation Through Labor. So my first question is, why this book and why now? Well, it's a great time to publish this book because... In mainland China, you've got almost 1.4 billion people, and they've been living under a police-administered regime that can put them away for three or four years in a labor camp uh, because of something called re-education through labor. And this is not new to China under the communists. It's not new to China under the previous nationalist government now on Taiwan. The important thing is, in recent years, the people on Taiwan, the Republic of China, not the People's Republic, they, through a long process uh, with uh, a good deal of help from their constitutional court, abolished their equivalent of re-education through labor, took away the power of the police alone to send you off to a labor camp asking no prosecutor's approval, asking no court's approval. China is now trying to think, what should it do about this? And for the first time, it looks like something serious is going to happen. We still don't know what it is. When we started writing this book, the police-dominated sanction was still in effect in Taiwan, and it was being used less and less, but it was still very much on the books, and there were over a thousand people behind bars on these so-called hooligan charges. Over the course of our research, we were delighted that the issue got more attention. We had a help to host a large-scale conference that involved a number of key players, and subsequently a decision by Taiwan's constitutional court was the final push to get the other branches of government to finally abolish the law. What's the difference between you know, the, the Liomang Act, which is the act that they used, and the um, re-education through labor? What are the major differences between the two? A major difference at the time that the Liomang Act was abolished was that the courts did play a role in the process. Currently, with re-education through labor, it's a completely police-dominated sanction. The courts do not have any say for who gets sent away for this three years or possibly even four-year sentence. In Taiwan, it had gone through a process where initially you said during three four, the max is three or four. Under? Max is four. It's a three-year that can be extended to a fourth year. In Re-education through labor. Right, Was correct. there a max under the um, Liomang Act? Three years. And that had been cut down uh, originally under the martial law period. Uh, there was first indefinite and then seven years, five years. And so slowly the police power was constrained and the courts became more active. In the mainland, the only time the courts can intervene is if somebody who's been sentenced 
to re-education through labor manages to file an appeal to the court for judicial review, but it's very hard to do. Most people don't have lawyers, even if they're charged formally with crime. And uh, if you get a lawyer, uh, it's hard for the lawyer to win the case before the court, although it sometimes happens. Uh, One of the things that the mainland can learn from Taiwan uh, is that it is possible to have a system where the court makes the final decision in every case where somebody is going to be confined. They could also, if they're going to continue with re-education through labor, learn about some elaborate procedures that Taiwan had for distinguishing between hooligans who deserve to go to detention and hooligans who can be reformed while staying outside of prison. Uh, So there are a number of things that Taiwan can uh, teach from its experience, depending on which course the mainland wants to pursue. And right now, it's in very intense ferment. And the police, the Ministry of Public Security, and some party officials are fighting a fierce rearguard action, trying to keep as much as possible re-education through labor, And you have many law professors and lawyers and legislators who are law reformers trying to do away with it. And they'll reach some kind of a compromise. And they've already, in some places, stopped handing out those sentences. In the book, you use a fictional Wang and Chun to kind of illustrate the the situation. That's unusual for lawyers to write that rather than using actual precedents. What was the logic behind creating this fiction, these two fictional characters? It made for wonderful reading, but the question I had in my mind is, are there no cases that we could have looked to? I, the goal was to make it wonderful reading, so I, I'm glad that worked. We, we wanted this book to be accessible and, and not make it just for a strictly legal and particularly legal academic audience. And we reviewed a number of cases, but those cases would have little snippets that we thought were interesting, little vignettes. And in the book, for example, we talk about people who were deemed hooligans because they stole pigeons that were used for gambling and racing. But no one case seemed to capture the, the full... Uh, cycle of issues that would come up as someone was first brought on the police radar, went through the court system, and eventual release. So instead, we thought we would take these various stories and compile them into sort of two archetypal characters. These are not made-up stories. These are stories based on highly detailed interviews with the police and judges and other people. It's a fictional account. it is, that case does not exist. Wong that, and Chun does not right. exist, which I, which was. But the material uh, of their stories certainly exists because it's a very accurate portrait of how things were done. Most of this information would never become a case; would never get to court. This is all administrative procedure. They kept records. Yep. That the the, yes. that the records are quite detailed, and have they now become public? Well, the records in Taiwan are much more public than in the mainland. And, uh, what about well, compared to the United States? Well, that's well, We a, have no similar procedure. We have no... Uh, no and, Juvenile justice, you might say, is similar. And we have a Freedom of Information Act that tries to ferret out relevant information from government officials. But uh, it's, it's not comparable. 
And one of our concerns was we didn't want to just write about the law in the books because, as is clear in any country, how the law is written and how it actually operates can be dramatically different. So one of our goals in, in using these, these stories based on real accounts and extensive interviews was to capture how the system really operated as opposed to just how it was supposed to uh, in theory. Underlining the book is kind of the concept that both, you know, the, the Liomang Act, those who are punished under the Liomang Act, and those who are punished under the re-education through labor, that it is better off in 100% of the cases that this go into the court system. Is that an accurate reading, that we're just better off? Or are there times when education through labor is actually good? I mean, Professor Cohen and I watched a movie from the Zheng Fawei in, in um, the Legal and Political Committee in, in Haiko, where they describe their reform through labor quite proudly that their rehabilitation rate was terrific. Well, of course, uh, in the mainland, one has to be aware of all statistics. Uh, and often uh, what you get is a highly sugar-coated view uh, of reality. Uh, there are times uh, when it's better simply to be handled by a kind administrator, uh, especially one who might not send you to re-education through labor. But for anyone who gets sent there, they're going to want to have a lot more than they get now. They're going to want to have fair procedures. They would like to have a lawyer represent them. Uh, they would like an opportunity for a fair open hearing. They would like to have a written decision. They would like to have an opportunity to get review in every case by an outside agency. But even there, there's a problem. A court review is good. But if the court itself is not independent, it's not as good as a court that's independent. Sometimes the Chinese courts, despite their current uh, uh, limited situation, do help. But often they don't. Within the police apparatus, they do have some review of decisions to send people to re-education through labor. I had a friend who worked in the legal department of the Ministry of Public Security, but it really didn't do very much for most people. There's too much room for arbitrary action, and if you offend a policeman or if you offend an official or even an important business person in the town, you're gone and there's very little that can be done about it. Because obviously just inserting a court does not mean that you're going to magically have fair proceedings, but it's an important step to have some outside body beside the police to review the police decision. And uh, Taiwan has positive examples for China and also negative examples. For many years, there was a secret witness system used whereby the court proceeding in Taiwan uh, would have a lot of information that was not available to the defense. They would withhold the identifying name, address, everything of the witness. And a concern is that the mainland might say, we now have court proceedings, but those court proceedings are really nothing substantial. Professor Cohen, you made reference to the uh, potential abolition of re-education through labor. Give us a better sense of the prospects and give us a sense of what this create. if you have any sense of what this creation of a new 
National Security Council relating to domestic security means for re-education through labor? Well, of course, we're waiting to see what the scope of authority of this recently established uh, National Security Council, or I prefer to call it State Security Council, will do. It's not clear how much it will have to do with China's external foreign affairs. Uh, It seems to be uh, focused largely on domestic security. And here's where you get the link to re-education through labor. The police love re-education through labor because it gives them an immediate opportunity to get people off the streets and into detention whom they do not like, whether for political reasons, whether they're dissenters or religious adherents to the Falun Gong or some other uh, independent church group. Do we have any data on what percentage are, are just you know, low-level users of drugs or, or petty thieves or prostitutes and what are kind of religious or political dissenters? We have incomplete data, and it varies. It's a little bit like our own state governments. Each province has its own data. In most places, it seems that most of the people who get put away are drug offenders, and uh, they're supposed to go to special rehabilitation centers. Uh, In the past, if those centers have proved uh, insufficient, then people go to the standard labor camp. Now there's some thought of when they do away with rehabilitation through labor, at least in name, just subdividing the work, uh, you might say subcontracting. Some will, people, most people, perhaps drug offenders, will go to a drug place. Uh, prostitutes will go to their own re-education place. Political offenders will have their uh, education place. Uh, the name, I think, is certain to be abolished. Beyond that, you had all kinds of suggestions for abolishing rehabilitation through labor. Uh, One says, let's make it shorter, just a year, or not more than 18 months. Another says, let's change it. Let's make it not so much labor, but education Monday to Friday, like a boarding school, and then let people go home on the weekend. Uh, Others say, let lawyers into the process. Uh, You've got a whole range. Uh, Even one economist suggested the last time they were going through this exercise, about eight years ago, he said, let's have a jury trial decide who should go to re-education through labor. So there are a lot of possibilities, and right now we're waiting to see. By the end of the year, we've been told we're going to know. But my impression is this is likely to be postponed which is a perfect note to end today's discussion. We've had with us today Professors Lewis and Cohen, authors of Challenge to China, How Taiwan Abolished Its Version of Re-Education Through Labor. Read it.